Welcome to Jersey Guy Sports, your sports talk home for the Yankees, the Giants, the Rangers, and the Rutgers Charlotte Knights, and I'm your host, Don. Thanks for tuning in. Today I'll be discussing the Rangers burying the Carolina Hurricanes 4-1 in convincing fashion Tuesday night at Madison Square Garden. This is game four of the series, and the Rangers have nodded it at 2-2. I'm also going to talk about the Yankees getting a hard dose of reality. So let's go ahead and get started. The New York Rangers shut down the Carolina Hurricanes Tuesday night at Madison Square Garden in Game 4 of the second round of the NHL playoffs, winning 4-1 to in a convincing win in front of a raucous Madison Square Garden crowd. And the crowd delighted in booing every time Tony D'Angelo touched the puck, which is pretty awesome. The resilient Rangers proved once again you cannot count this team out. Game 4 kind of started with the backdrop of Domi hitting Ryan Lindgren after the last whistle during the Game 3 in what was just a stupid display by Domi in Carolina. The entire Rangers team was fired up a little bit to get retribution. I thought it was stupid at the time, and I think it inspired the Rangers, and it certainly was reflected in the start of Game 4. It was a chippy game throughout. The game started with a fury as both teams were kind of skating up and down the ice. There were excellent chances, some open ice on both sides, good action really for the first three or four minutes. An early power play, too, for the Rangers. It didn't generate a goal, but it did just about everything else. The Rangers dominated during the power play and had shot after shot after shot. I think they had seven shots or something, the answers were saying. Um, they didn't score, but they did every single thing else. The puck was in the Carolina zone for the entire entirety of the two-minute power play. The Rangers enjoyed, I would say, the better of the play, too, with the first 10 or 12 minutes of the first period. <clears throat> but the action was fast and furious. I mean, it was it was fun, exciting, loud, some good saves at both, both ends. It was really an exciting first period. Maybe about the 12-minute mark or so of the first period, Jacob Truba flattened Domi, which was awesome. And I mean, Truba freight trained him. It was a tremendous hit. One of those highlight reel decleaters. It was awesome. And then a Carolina teammate, of course, got mad at that because God forbid nowadays you give someone a clean hit. You must fight. And of course, the guy picked a fight with Truba and then the Carolina dude took a two-minute instigator penalty for his efforts. And he promptly also, by the way, got beaten to submission by Truba for good measure. It was really... A satisfying exchange for a Ranger fan all around, from the Domi hit, you know, to the fight, to the Rangers getting a power play. And by the way, the icing on the cake was that the Rangers actually scored a power play goal on that power play that was generated from that hit. So it was awesome. Frank Vetrano on that power play snapped a wrist shot past the Carolina goaltender onto Iranto off of a great pass by Cobb. Who had a great game, by the way. And that made it one nothing Rangers in the first period. And what a series that was. That whole series of events from the hit all the way to the power play goal was just kind of inspiring. And, and really a cathartic sort of, ah, that, that felt good. Uh, Fox then scored a deflection goal on a beautiful effort by Kreider, uh, and it made it 2 nothing. Kreider had broken his stick in the offensive zone and managed to, you know, kick the puck forward and keep it alive to retain, you know, possession for the Rangers in the offensive zone. Two passes later, Lindgren shot, and it deflected uh, by Fox. It was deflected past Ronta, and the Rangers had a 2 nothing lead with about, I don't know, four minutes or so left in the first period. It was kind of a beautiful thing. It was a great first period for the Rangers, who were just generally – 
crisp all around the ice while they continued <laughs> to lose face-offs. And I just, I don't know what to say anymore. The rest of their game was really, really strong. I mean, Igor made a few big saves and the team played a fair amount in Carolina's zone. And the first period ended with the Rangers up 2 nothing. It was the best period of the series for sure against Carolina, hands down. The second period started with Carolina generating a lot of good chances. And Igor really had to make some great saves, including a spectacular left kick save about a minute in to prevent a goal. He basically made a toe save coming across. Uh, also, maybe halfway through the period, uh, the Rangers took a penalty and Carolina went on the power play. And actually, they killed it off. But on the shorthanded opportunity, Kreider broke in and passed to Mika, who got stuffed by Auntie Ronta. What a great save that was. Uh, otherwise, it would have been 3 nothing. Um, it would have been a fantastic shorthanded goal, but it was not to be. Uh, at that point, the Rangers, and really throughout the game, the Rangers have played much better defensively. And this was kind of an important point because most of the Pittsburgh series and a fair amount of this series against Carolina, the Rangers have not played good enough defensively. It's just period, point blank. Um, and this was one of their better, if not their best defensive games, I thought, of the entire postseason. I don't know how much is going to get written about or talked about. I'm recording this right after the game ended. Um, but in my mind, they played very well everywhere, but most importantly, defectively. They were defensively. They were getting in passing lanes. They were blocking shots. They were hitting. They were finishing checks. And they were in the proper lanes for most, most of the game. There were some spots where they kind of uh, relapsed a little bit. And at that one point, Gallant yelled at them on the bench, and then they, they picked it up again. It was right after Carolina scored their first goal later on. Uh, but in any case, the Rangers had their best defensive game of the postseason, in my mind, and that certainly went a long way. We'll see what they can do in the next game. Uh, with about five minutes left in the second period, Carolina, for example, only had 17 shots on goal, right, which is just a far cry from previous series, right? I mean, 17 shots. Carolina had 18 shots in the first period alone of game three and through almost two periods here in game four, they only had 17. So less shots, you know, in two periods than they had in the first period. So good job by the Rangers there. You know, they still gave up. I don't know. I think they ended up giving up 31 shots on goal, which is not, you know, awful, but certainly, you know, not a tremendous defensive effort. But for the Rangers, I'll take it because they've just been giving up what feels like 40 shots a goal a game, you know, each game you know, of the postseason. At least it sort of feels like. I don't know what the average is, but way, way, way too many shots on goal. Um, the face-offs, of course, were the same as every other game. You know, uh, late in the second period, they made a comment that Carolina was winning face-offs at a rate of 22 to 8. So 22 of the 30 face-offs were won by Carolina, and it was probably worse after that, but who knows. That never seems to change, and, you know, it will eventually cost the Rangers, and it already has, you know, throughout this postseason. The chippiness, by the way, also continued throughout the second period, which I kind of like in hockey. i got to be honest with you. It adds some flavor to the game, and it really, to me, makes hockey better. You know, a nice, clean, crisp, you know, don't hit anyone hard, don't rough anyone it's just not the kind of style of hockey I like. I, I definitely appreciate skill in hockey a lot, but I think the game 
to be, you know, exciting and to draw the most people and really to be the most enriching to fans has to have some chippiness hitting and really that raw excitement that comes from, you know, some rough housing and, and some tough play. And, and there was plenty of that this game. With about three minutes left, Ryan Lindgren took a uh, drop pass from Mika and shot it at the goalie, squeaked past Ronta and sat there behind him. And Mika was able to backhand it in and put the Rangers up 3 nothing. And the Gordon was rocking, <clears throat> excuse me, at that point. In the third period, the play seemed, um, I guess the play was kind of pretty even for a while. Um, and then Carolina finally got on the board uh, with about 12 minutes left in the game to make it 3-1. to one. Uh, The Rangers, believe it or not, had actually won a face-off during this time, but then turned it over along the boards, and it led to a quick pass and a great shot, and that beat Igor Shosturkin, and Carolina was on the board and trailing 3-1. to one. Right after that, as I mentioned before, Carolina then put on lots of pressure over the next several minutes, and that was the time where I felt the Rangers kind of reverted back to how they've been, where they're backing in too much, kind of looking at the play, um, gliding with their sticks out as opposed to, you know, skating. And that's what happens when you watch the Rangers and some other teams. When they're on their heels and not playing well, right? they're gliding and looking instead of being aggressive and skating. Um, and generally you could see the Rangers scrambling, running around their own zone. <clears throat> and for a period of about five minutes, it was a little nerve wracking. Um, but then out of nowhere, Andrew Cott made it 4-1 with about nine minutes left. <clears throat> it was right after Galan had blasted the team on the bench for, you know, making sure you get skating. And they did, and the Rangers scored. Cott, by the way, had an absolutely outstanding game. Um, and he continues to show that he was an outstanding pickup by Drury at the trade deadline. <clears throat> Igor kind of did the rest, the rest of the way in the third period. And the Rangers won a big game with a final of 4-1, to one, and they nodded up the series at 2. And it was great to see. The crowd was raucous. It was a fun game. It was exciting. It was the Rangers' best, most complete game, in my opinion, of the postseason. And absolutely their best game defensively of the postseason. In this series, by the way, against Carolina, the home team has won every game so far. And for Carolina, as was stated on the broadcast, this has also been the case for every single game the entire postseason. So Carolina has not won a single road game this entire season. And that's the great news for the Rangers. On the negative side, Carolina has not lost a single home game the entire postseason. And the Rangers are going to have to win one there to move on. Two of the last three games are in Carolina, where the Rangers are going to have to find a way to win. At the end of the game, again, more feistiness and chippiness. Uh, Max Domi and Ryan Reeves are getting together, chirping each other, pushing, roughing around, a little stick work there at the end. You know, the fact, and I don't understand this, that the Carolina coach had Domi on the ice at the end of this game, again, I found it interesting and honestly stupid. I mean, for me, you know, Domi being the asshole he is and cross-checking Ryan Lingren at the end of game three really provided some extra inspiration for the Rangers, you know, right, heading into this game four. I said it after game three, and, you know, it's it's the way it played out. You know, this game for the Rangers was the best game they played the entire series. They were plenty motivated. They were angry. They were fired up. They were hitting early. They, they generated an early power play, and they were generally swarming. And I think a lot of that can be attributed to Domi's idiocy at the end of game three and here we are again at the end of game four with Domi chirping on the ice with two minutes left for no reason he didn't have to be there but I think it may fire up the Rangers again but we're gonna have to see we'll see if his antics at the end of this game provide inspiration for Carolina 
or if the Rangers continue to feed off of this idiot, you know, and play another inspired game in Carolina on Thursday night where, you know, again, no team has won yet this postseason. But once again, the Rangers proved to be a resilient team and a team that kind of gets up off the mat no matter how many times they're knocked down. It's a great trait to have. While I still feel like, to me, uh, we haven't seen Carolina play all that well yet in this series, and yet it's still 2-2. So with them playing, in my mind, what I feel is just kind of average, it's still only 2-2, you know. And I also feel like, by the way, on the positive side, as well as Igor's play, we have not seen Igor's best goaltending game yet either. So Carolina has the ability to play better, but I think Igor does too. It may take Igor's best game yet to win in Carolina on Thursday, and I guess we're going to see that. In any case, these particular resilient Rangers have made this a series once again. So let's go Rangers, baby. I want to talk a little bit about the Yankees as well, a few odds and ends. The Yankees recently have gotten a dose of reality over the weekend and Monday and maybe Tuesday or not. The game's not over on Tuesday night yet. The Yanks have lost three straight coming into Tuesday night, and they also gave up the lead again on Tuesday night. Um, Chad Green, let's just talk about some of the adversity facing the Yankees. Chad Green will be out for the year and will undergo Tommy John surgery, we just learned. Um, this will eliminate the rest of this year and at least some portion of next year as well, in all likelihood. In my opinion, though, Green has been pretty awful for a long time anyway. So this is kind of addition by subtraction in my mind, but everyone's writing and talking about it as if it's a big loss for the Yankees. I just, Green has not done anything positive for the Yanks, in my opinion, in about a year or so. This, I guess, can be chalked up to adversity, but in my mind, it's not as bad as maybe some of the other issues. Josh Donaldson was suspended, as I'm sure everyone listening to this knows by now. He was suspended by Major League Baseball for inappropriate comments, said to Tim Anderson on the White Sox. And I'm not going to really comment on this. I'm not going to get into what has turned into, again, a political issue, since it doesn't seem possible in the year of 2022 to have any rational discussion or conversation on anything political without, you know, a million irrational responses. So uh, maybe just the facts, right? The facts are that Tim Anderson called himself the next Jackie Robinson in an SI article a few years ago, right? And then Donaldson called him Jackie a few times this year to reference those comments. You know, he called himself Jackie. Hey, Jackie. Again, I have opinions on this, but I'm not going to state them here. I will say... I guess at a minimum, Tim Anderson has a history of drama, if you Google him, and he himself was suspended for racist comments, by the way, in April of 2019. I'm talking about, you know, Tim Anderson himself. So the Yanks are dealing with this now, and that's additional um, adversity, uh, some additional things. Chapman, ugh. Chapman has been pitching like dog shit for some time now. And he may also be hurt. The Yanks have been cryptic kind of about the whole friggin' thing. Talking about now a possible stint on the IL. But to me, it just seems like a cover-up for Chapman sucking balls lately. We'll see. In any case, Chapman is an ongoing concern and a cause for adversity for the Yanks. The Yankees' defense, in my mind, is another sort of problem. The Yankees' defense looked much better earlier this season compared to previous years. But it's kind of come back to reality lately. Now, it's not awful or anything, but with Torres playing poorly at second base, IKF having occasional hiccups at short, Aaron Hicks looking absolutely lost in the outfield, this quote-unquote improved defense suddenly looks a lot more like the previous year's defenses. So let's see. Um, Donaldson, 
Gallo and Higashioka are all on the COVID IL. <laughs> so this is more adversity, but they all tested negative. Now, I don't know. It kind of sounds counterintuitive me, to me. They're all negative for COVID, but on the COVID IL. Okay, then. Uh, in any case, this may not necessarily be adversity. Having a 176 hitter, a 154 hitter, and a 238 hitter, uh, who's also suspended for inappropriate comments, being out with COVID, uh, maybe. I don't know. But still, whether you call it that or not, it's still not great. Uh, on the plus side, Aaron Judge is just friggin' killing it for the Yanks. He's got 17 homers. He had two more Monday night in the brutal loss to the Orioles. Um, yes, the loss to the Orioles, by the way, they lost to the Orioles with Cole pitching and with Judge hitting two homers, including a clutch late one. I just, uh, that was a tough loss. Judge is making a very good early case for him being selected as the American League MVP at this point. Um, and in this case, most valuable player MVP is warranted. And I want to talk about that for a minute, right? I've, I've said this to some people privately, but I wanted to mention on the podcast the most valuable player award, right? This has always bugged me in recent years because the MVP award is supposed to go to the player that is the most valuable to his team. It is not supposed to go to the best player in each league, but the most valuable player, right? So oftentimes the MVP just goes to a guy with the best stats. And sometimes that person happens to be on a last place team, a suck ass team, a team that isn't going anywhere that finishes 20, 30, 40 games under 500. This cannot be. You cannot award someone with the most valuable player award when that player is so valuable that the team finishes in last place. Because when I think of valuable, I think of someone, wow, because this person was on the team, the team did this. If they didn't have him, wow, they would have done that. So the team finished 30 games under 500 in the last place. Without him, the team would have, um, yeah, finished in last place. So he's not valuable at all because they still finished in last place. He may be a great player, but to provide value, you have to move the team from someplace it was to someplace different because you're so valuable, right? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, valuable means valuable, right? Someone critically important to their team that makes a huge difference in the team's standings or their finish. If you want to have, if baseball wants to have another award, right? And they want to call do whatever, the best player award, the Babe Ruth player, whatever. You give a separate award for the best player in each league. Fine. I don't give a shit. But you cannot call it the most valuable player award and then award it to someone that finishes on a bad team. It doesn't make any sense because if the team is bad, he's obviously not valuable. They can be bad without him if they're bad with him. It's just, it's just silly. In any case, um, this is not the case for Aaron Judge because, you know, this MVP talk is warranted. So he has great stats, but he also is really carrying the Yanks on his back. And that's kind of what the most valuable player award should mean. He is crushing it. And by the way, Stanton is too so far. Um, I don't see the Yanks, just a couple other quick odds and ends here. I don't see the Yanks hustling as much as other teams do. And I want to see them trying harder. And this is consistent. You know, it's lazy, it's infuriating, and it loses baseball games at times. And I'm tired of friggin' seeing it with the Yanks. I'm just tired of it. You know, from, let's see, Torres to Hicks to Rizzo and others, it's maddening. I just... Friggin' run hard to first, for real. Don't 
fake it and don't, you know, make it look like you're running fast, but bust your ass. For years, I watched, you know, Lardass Sanchez run at two miles an hour down the first base. I'm so tired of it with the Yanks. I'm tired of saying it. I'm tired of seeing it. I'm tired of talking about it. I really want them to bust ass defensively and offensively. I mean, most of the Yanks don't try. I mean, there's a couple of Tom and IKF hustles, Gallo hustles, believe it or not. And the rest mostly don't. I mean, it's it's maddening and infuriating. It has to change. Winning teams just bust their ass defensively and as well as, you know, offensively when they're running things out. So I like to see a little more effort from the Yanks going forward. And um, hopefully their run continues deep into the season. This would be great to see the Yankees actually make uh, make a push this year. In any case, that's all I have for you today. And I want to thank you for listening to Jersey Guy Sports. I want you to please subscribe to the podcast if you can. Tell your friends all about it, and I'll be back soon with some more sports talk. Thanks, and have a good day.